this is Jay from Potstirer Podcast. A couple of quick things before we begin. The following episode includes some sound issues and artifacts that were unfortunately not caught during the original recording. Efforts were made to remove during the editing process, but not all of them could be corrected. However, the perspective and information provided in this interview episode, I believe is important enough that even with these issues, it should be released to the public. Also, a content warning. The following episode includes discussion of religious and spiritual trauma, religious abuse, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Listener discretion is advised. I am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. everyone, and welcome to Potstar Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Andrew Pledger. Andrew is a social media influencer and a survivor of religious trauma who seeks to bring awareness to spiritual abuse, religious trauma syndrome, and mental health through social media. He is here to share his story about his experiences in fundamentalist Christianity and how he came to walk away from a faith system that at one time structured his life. Thank you, Andrew, for joining me. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. So tell us a little bit about your background. Yes. So I grew up in fundamentalist Christianity, like you said. Uh, More specifically, I grew up in an IFB church, which means or stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist. And my parents, they both went to Hiles Anderson College and graduated from there. In the 80s, this was a very big fundamentalist Christian college. And let's see, it was an extension of the church, First Baptist, something like Chicago. And Jack Hiles was the pastor there. And his son, David Hiles, has gotten into a lot of trouble with sexual assault claims. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a big deal. And I'm not sure if he's in jail yet, but I need to look more into that. So my parents, they both met at Hiles Anderson. And my dad was studying to be a pastor and my mom was studying to be a Christian school teacher. So they had a very, very similar beliefs going to this college. And I think they got married. um, Gosh, I think it was like 90 or 91 Mm -hmm. is when they got married. and. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was a pastor. And my mom and dad prayed so much to have children. They were childless for like six to seven years. They never thought they were ever going to have children. They were looking into adoption. And I think it was, see, it was probably around 96, 97 when my brother uh, David was conceived. And to them, you know, they saw that as like, a gift from God, like, oh, we, we finally, we have a child. And then, you know, then two more came along <laughs> and then I'm the middle child. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the middle, love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, my mom, she was teaching in the Christian school environment for several years. 
And she knew that she did not want her children to be in that kind of environment. My parents were both scared of the idea of homeschooling. They prepared as best that they could. And they decided to use homeschooling to indoctrinate me and my brothers into fundamentalist Christianity. You're saying that your mother was a Christian school teacher. Mm -hmm. So usually when I hear about people who want to homeschool their children, they tend to compare it to public school and say like, oh, well, public school is going to expose my child to all these things that we don't Mm -hmm. want them exposed to. But it's interesting that even with her being in a Christian school environment, even that was that I guess your parents wanted more control than even a Christian school environment would provide. I mean, yes, most definitely. And I think she definitely like saw the behavior in there. And I think honestly, obviously they didn't want me to go to public school and I didn't know what all my mom experienced teaching. I don't know her specific experiences, but I definitely think they tried to shelter me and my brothers a lot. And like they, they did try to socialize us, but it was just like in the church and like we had a homeschool group and like we participated in 4-H clubs, but it was all still in that religious um, mindset, very around very similar people. They were very careful and controlling about who we were around. Just so people know about the IFB church or the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, the one I went to used to be pastored by Brother Bobby Robertson. I grew up in Gosset Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina, and Brother Bobby, he was really famous in like fundamentalist circles. Like if you went to a fundamentalist church and you said his name, just people would go like off the walls. Everyone knew him and thought he was this amazing, wonderful person. Like it was like he was Jesus himself or something. So when you say fundamentalist, you're talking about very conservative environment, very authority minded environment. Yes, definitely. And the interesting thing is this week, I'm reading a book called The Psychology of Religious Fundamentalism. And it's so interesting to me because, you know, now that I've left the fold, I really, truly want to understand how their minds work, really, what is going on, even things they might not be aware of, unconscious drives. And, you know, I'm trying to learn about the distinctions between evangelicalism and fundamentalism. Because they both seem similar. So I'm like, what are the differences? And, you know, and I was reading today in that book how really, I guess what you would say is the mindset. Fundamentalism has a very militant mindset. It has a very us versus them. It sees the world as this place full of like so much evil and spiritual warfare and that everyone else outside the fold is against us. Whereas your typical evangelical will, you know, of course, they'll separate in the world. But they have more of a love for it, I guess you would say, for other people and compassion. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and, I think it depends. <laughs> it does depend. Like, yeah. It's job, definitely. It's interesting that you bring that up. So my background academically is in political science. And mm-hmm. I studied evangelicalism as sort of an umbrella tradition that mm-hmm. included fundamentalism. In the more secular mindset, fundamentalism is seen as a subset of evangelicalism. Hmm. Now, if you talk to people who are within those traditions, mm-hmm. you'll find that there are some people that will separate them. 
some that will look at fundamentalism as separate. If they self-describe as fundamentalists, they tend to have specific, I think it's like five pillars of fundamentals. It's like mm-hmm. five fundamentals. And yeah. so like there's like a specific history, a specific background with that. But then it's considered the umbrella of evangelicalism, where what kind of ties evangelicals together is this idea that the world has fallen and mm-hmm. everyone is in need of a savior. And the idea is that everyone is commanded to go out and basically bring people to Jesus. And there's the idea of being born again and all that. Mm-hmm. So that's what binds them together. But then beyond that, there are some that are more conservative than others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what I've learned, which of course, evangelicalism can be very militant too, but I think fundamentalism has that militant mindset. And I think also they are a lot more stricter than evangelicals. I would say fundamentalists, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would say they're more radical. And really, because, okay, so for example, so for more extreme fundamentals in America, in the church I grew up in, it was a KJV only church, which means King James Version Bible. Yeah. It was the only legitimate Bible they would take as the word of God. Anything else was not legitimate. And they looked down on anyone who used a different version of the Bible. Women weren't supposed to wear pants in my church. It was very looked down upon. They were supposed to wear very long dresses or skirts. Women were supposed to submitting to their husbands. And the husband always had to say a very patriarchal type thing where it's like, you know, and their thing is like God, the husband, and then I think it's a wife under the husband, and then it's the children underneath. This is hierarchy. I would say, too, my church, it was a Christian nationalist type church. And, you know, I remember the support of Trump when he was running for office and then when he won and how he's like my preacher at the time we were talking about how it was funny because there was this factually incorrect story that went around the internet that was not true at all i don't know all the specifics but basically someone had put like a king james bible in the oval office and this person the post talking about how oh god put Trump in office and he made this work out but that night we found out that story wasn't true at all. Yeah. <laughs> There's supposed to be misinformation. I'm like, what? That's not even true. But it was just so scary how these fundamentalists are like, oh my gosh, we need to get our people in the government to force our interpretation of Christianity on the United States. Because they really want a theocracy, really. Oh, yeah. They don't want democracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's been several episodes of Pastor podcast where I get into the end game for Christian nationalists. Mm -hmm. And big thing is that they have a particular version of what they want government to look like. And democracy, democracy isn't really something that they care about. If it doesn't work for them, they don't want it pretty Mm -hmm. much. And their whole thing is like, okay, well, they want their interpretation of God to rule. And it's a very narrow version Mm -hmm. of God and Jesus and what that looks like. And it's it's kind of scary if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And like, I don't know, have you heard of Project Blitz? No, I haven't. Okay, so the interesting thing is Project Blitz is a Christian nationalist political agenda where these different fundamentalists are trying to infiltrate the government at the state level. 
Mm-hmm. And eventually they like work their way up to like Washington. And their strategy is they put all these people, they connect with people across states and they get them into office. And what they do is they inundate these governments with so many bills that they're hoping a few of them will like slide through the cracks and get passed mm. that push their agenda. And they recently renamed it because they realized people were catching on to what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, that's how that happens. <laughs> <It's> yeah. <laughs> And I think there is a website, though, that has still continued to watch. It's called Blitzwatch, and it continues to watch actions that they're taking throughout the U.S. But it's just it's so scary how still these people are trying to push a specific interpretation of their religion on all of America. And it's like, that's not what America is about. It's about religious freedom in general for everyone, for what they want to practice. And it's just so crazy to me how... There are people who, for example, in like fundamentalist backgrounds, like think of like the Duggards. Like, oh, no, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm sure you're probably aware, but a lot of what they do, they were influenced, they learned under Phil Gothard. Yes, I am very familiar with him. I've learned quite a bit because like there are different like influences of fundamentalism. So I think he did the, what's it called, Basic Life Principles Institute. Yeah, Institute in Basic Life Principles. Oh, okay. Basically, if I can remember it correctly, that's it is a curriculum that he would push to fit and train basically boys and girls into these very patriarchal roles that fundamentalist Christianity needs for their systems of control, basically. Like, they want a society where women just stay at home, don't have a job. They cook, they clean, they raise the kids, and the husband is in charge of the house. He has a career. He's making the money. And, of course, the woman has to be available 24-7 for her man to please him whenever. Like, Like she's just some object to be used so this man doesn't be whatever tempted by other women in the world. Purity culture and definitely, like, objectifies women a lot yeah um, these environments and just it makes me so sad when i hear the stories of women in these environments who are purposely not given a good education so that they will just settle with just being a wife and having kids yeah. and basically being a servant <laughs> yeah it's it's sad it really is mm-hmm. i don't have personal experience with the ifb but I have heard from other former evangelicals who have been in IFB churches and I've heard about how it's really high control mm-hmm. and very patriarchal and there's these elements of Christian nationalism. Now for you, when did you first remember starting to question that environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there were definitely moments in my younger years when I knew that I really hated going to the church my parents had us going to growing up. We attended. And the issue is, if you show that you dislike going to church, that's a sign that you're not right with God or you're not a Christian. So when that happens, parents really just force more religion on their kids when they show that discomfort. So I learned very early on that I could not openly show that I hated going to that church because they would just make it worse for me. 
but okay. I would always get, I can't remember what age it started, but probably, I'm just going to say, when I remember it, it was probably like 11, probably starting okay. around 11, but the last remember, but like I would get physically sick just going to church every mm-hmm. Sunday because I hated it so much because it caused so much psychological discomfort and it was always the worst day of the week <laughs> for me. <laughs> And I couldn't say that because my parents, they've, they're still going to that church, but they've been going to it since like the nineties. Okay. So this and is something that's been a part of their lives for a very long time. Very long time. And, you know, they went to Gossip Baptist Church because they looked up to Brother Bobby. And I think one of the earlier signs too was the obsession my church had with Brother Bobby. It was a cult-like obsession. And I remember like sitting in a service and someone was praying in the pulpit. And when they were praying to God, they were like, dear God, help us to be more like Brother Bobby. Mm. And I just kind of sat up and I was like, you really just pray to God that you want to be like another man. Yeah. A lot of these environments, you don't question. At least from my experience, and my experience wasn't even as, as high control as yours. I mean, even growing up, there's that element like you don't question God. And by God, I mean what you're being taught about God Mm -hmm. from the people in authority. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so to question means, oh, do you have doubts? Oh, do you not believe? Oh, there's all this kind of stuff that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's considered a big deal. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I got from reading your story, which is on your website, is that what may be like intertwined with some of this, at least at a certain point in your childhood was your sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. When did you come to realize that you were gay? I think finally like accepting it, it was at 16 years old, but like there were signs starting at like 13 where I would just like push aside that I could not psychologically and emotionally like deal with. There's a lot of repression and it just, it didn't make sense to me because I was told a very narrow view of gay people. And like, I didn't fit the definition that they gave me. So I'm like, oh, well, that's not an issue. But once I finally understood that my church was wrong on what they said about gay people, and like they were very, they would generalize gay people a lot. They would just say like, oh, they're all, they're all perverts going out and like hurting children. They're sexual addicts and just all these terrible things. I think the scum of the earth or just animals or something like that. Oh, wow. And But of course, you know, they would always talk about how gays are condemned to hell. They're going to burn for eternity and all these different things. And, you know, my pastor loved the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, it's been interesting to go back and really look at the context behind that. And I'm not going to dig into that, but I suggest anyone listening to really look to the context behind that story. I will say I have a couple of episodes from a couple of years ago where I dug into sexual orientation as well as gender identity and some of the context as far as what the Bible says and the clobber mm-hmm. verses and things like that. That's a good example of where that's taught a certain way to condemn people who are LGBTQ plus when mm-hmm. it's not even about that at all. No. And it's like it definitely like prejudice has a lot to do with how people can interpret the Bible and like that's always the big issue is because we're imperfect people 
And we all have different experiences and perceptions and even like worldviews that maybe, maybe they're similar, but can be slightly different that influence our interpretation of scripture. Yeah. And so these people can say that they have the right interpretation of scripture all they want, but all that that means they're really saying like, oh, well, I'm perfect. I have no bias whatsoever. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's a good point, though. This is my way out of evangelicalism. One of the things that I sort of grew up with more from my father was mm-hmm. the idea of like questioning things mm-hmm. and being willing to be wrong. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of the thing about religion, especially high control religion, mm-hmm. is that there's not the space to be wrong. No. And like they they thrive on certainty, mm-hmm. like so much. It makes them so comfortable. Yeah when it's so badly so to even admit that they're wrong they're like oh if i'm wrong on one thing what if i'm wrong about another thing like how can i be certain of this this or this like the house of cards began to fall down <laughs> right it starts and so they need that certainty so much and you know i think there is definitely a lot of like psychological components to fundamentalism like you know or just religion in general like it provides people with a purpose and meaning and it gives people a sense of safety or coherence from our society. Because, I mean, let's be real, society can be so stressful. Oh, yeah. All the demands yeah. of life. Yeah, exactly. Life is stressful. There's a lot mm-hmm. of things that happen that are difficult. Mm-hmm. Things happen and we don't always understand them. And it's like, it sort of gives order to disorder mm-hmm. and meaning to things that don't seem to have meaning. I wouldn't regard people for believing that, but I think when you get into some of this high control stuff, there's that dark side mm. to that as well, where it's like, yeah. it also means that you can't question things. And if things don't fit, or if you have a different interpretation, then you're out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you're questioning, then is that going to make me question? And so then you start getting into, oh, so-and-so is a bad influence. And so people get shunned from the Mm -hmm. faith as well, because they dare ask questions or they dare have a different way of looking at things. Yes, most definitely. Like, that's interesting that you said that, because I feel like that's the main reason to why I got expelled from Bob Jones University. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of that, let's get into that. First of all, what led you to attend Bob Jones University in the first place? Yes. So my parents, they indoctrinated me and my brothers our entire lives. And they weren't just going to let us go to a secular college after all those years of indoctrination. So basically, my parents were like, okay, they're like, you can go to college and we'll pay for it only if you go to a Christian college that we approve of. Okay. And so it was a very small list of like colleges they would approve of. So Hiles Anderson, of course, was on that list. And there was Pensacola Christian College which is, oh, it's so much worse than Bob Jones. It's one of the strictest fundamentalist schools in this country. Yeah, I've heard uh, of it, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Bob Jones was on the list. And, of course, like, there's West Coast, uh, Crown, Chamberbrose. But, like, the hard thing is, I'm like, okay, I'm like, how am I going to find a Christian college that has an education that will be worth something, that ha- that is accredited? And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to go to college and the credits be nothing. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. And like, for example, at Pensacola Christian College, like they're not officially completely accredited. So if someone goes there as an education major, they cannot teach in a public school. They can only teach in a Christian school. 
which is very limiting. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's an issue with some of these Christian schools. There's one that closed not too long ago around here called Cincinnati Christian University or mm-hmm. CCU. And there are issues with their accreditation because of the lack of accreditation that cause issues with people who, you know, mm. maybe want to go into something other than ministry. <laughs> then yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, that was another thing. I was like, how can I have whatever Christian college is accredited that has a wide variety of academics? And Bob Jones, I think is one of the better, like, education-wise Christian schools in the country. And I know there are several others, I'm sure, but like, they were, they're regionally accredited. I know like they've been listed in like several lists of most affordable, like best colleges in the South or something like that. They make a big deal about it there and they're proud of that. And, but I was like, okay, I'm like, Bob Jones is accredited and they weren't definitely were a lot less strict than Pensacola. And my parents were actually willing to help me pay to go there. And, you know, even though it's $30,000 to go there a year, Mm -hmm. which for most, for just college in general, that's cheap. But for a Christian college, that is, <laughs> that is expensive for a Christian college. But definitely, because like Pensacola is like, I'm pretty sure it's like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars a year. Okay, like, it's really cheap at Pensacola. So that's why my parents were really pushing me to go there. This is a lot cheaper. And of course, my oldest brother went there and he loved it. But thankfully, I knew myself enough at the time to knew to know that I would absolutely hate going to that school. So that's when Bob Jones was a better option. And I was still, I deep down inside, like I did not want to go there anyways. But then again, I didn't want to stay home and be stuck in my fundy church. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah. like a rock and a hard place. Like, oh, let's, let's choose the lesser evil. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a matter of degree, but like, okay, this is less bad. <laughs> yeah. And so it was funny because. My parents told me, they're like, okay, they're like, if you were going to study ministry at Bob Jones, we would not want you to go there because they do not take a KJV only stands. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so crazy to me because they're still a very strict conservative Christian college. It was really hard. And like, I did try to get out of going to BJU. That was when, I think it was a couple of months before going to BJU, I came out to my mom and I'm like, they're going to treat me terribly there. I'll never fit in. It is going to be hell. And she just, she was in so much denial about it. And she just didn't want to accept it. And she was like, you know what? Maybe they can fix you if you go there, whatever. So we've never talked about that since. And that was back in like 2018. Oh, wow. Okay. So in this environment, I knew I had to learn to adapt quick (laughs) just to like keep my spirit. And like at the time, I didn't know that I was struggling with religious trauma. I had struggled with my mental health for several years and I struggled so much with depression and anxiety. And, you know, when I was in my teen years around 16, you know, I went through a terrible depressive episode where I just stopped eating and I lost like 20 pounds in two weeks. I was in bed. I was just so down. And, you know, my parents, they wouldn't even take me to a doctor at all. They didn't know what to do. And my dad would just get really angry about me, about like struggling to eat. Whenever I went to them about anything, it was just, oh, just read your Bible and pray or work in a relationship with Jesus. It was just, it was the same old thing over and over again. It was like, you know what? I'm like, they're not very, they're not helpful. (laughs) And I just learned to just 
number one, like after that big moment to not trust them because they weren't going to help me in like my moments of like dire need. Yeah. And they weren't educated on mental health or trauma. And like, obviously at the time I wasn't either. Like I was so unaware of like emotional needs really just weren't like on my radar to that they actually mattered or that they existed. Mm-hmm. And so basically deep down inside, there was just a lot of repressed emotions, repressed trauma, uh, repressed sexuality, just all these things internally. But, you know, I had no mental health education and my church was very anti-psychology. That's a thing. Definitely a thing, I think, within a lot of these high control environments is the denial of mental health as being an issue. Now, for your background, did they look at mental health issues as being spiritual or? Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. To them, it's a sin if you struggle with depression or anxiety or anything. And it's really sad because there's so much victim blaming in these Mm. environments. And in the past, like, six months, I've learned so much about mental health and trauma that it just makes me so angry to think there are still people who are so ignorant about how you can't pray trauma away. It lives in your body. It lives in your mind. It's something you have to work through with a therapist. Yes, definitely. Help guide you through these traumatic things. And you know what? You cannot you cannot help getting PTSD symptoms from certain things in your life because of trauma or getting triggered by things. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you can just flick off. It's like you have to work through it and eventually you can work through it, but it's not it's not a fast, quick thing. A lot of these people, they're not educated on trauma or mental health. So there's so much blame put on the person and it really just makes it worse. That person just feels like shit. They feel like a failure. And even if they're really like into that religion, they feel like they fell God and they don't get better. They're, they're just a lesser Christian or as strong as the others. And they might not even consider if they've been through traumatic experiences or just aware of trauma in general and how it lives in their mind and body. And You know, to me, it's just, I genuinely thought like something was, I literally thought I had a mental health disorder that was just genetic because I just, but at the time I was just so unaware of how to emotionally regulate, which is like a big issue with religious trauma and these environments is that number one, they teach you to distrust yourself. Like you're evil and your heart is deceitful and like the devil can plant thoughts into your mind. And so they disconnect you from yourself really in order to be a functioning healthy human being you need to be able to know your needs recognize them and then know how to meet them and you need to be able to work through your emotions and you also be able to make decisions so if you literally can't trust yourself at all and you just see yourself as this helpless stupid sheep who needs to rely on their shepherd like you're going to be helpless in this environment. And really these controlling leaders, that's what they want. In a religious background I came from, it was like, basically you're taught you're not your own. And if you had any of these feelings or thoughts that it was Satan. Like I mentioned, this is a Pentecostal background. So there's a lot of talk about like demons and possession and stuff like that. So it was like the idea of mental health issues was like, oh, well, it must be either you're possessed or that you're listening to the devil or 
you're leaning into sin or, oh, well, that's not of God. And so the nuances can be a little bit different, but at the end of the day, it's very similar. You can't trust mm-hmm. yourself. Don't look outside the church to mm-hmm. deal with whatever issue it is. You have to look within the faith and you have to look to the authorities yeah. within the church to help mm-hmm. you. Yes. And like in a recent example of this, I recently got together with a friend who was expelled from Bob Jones last year. And, you know, we were both exchanging experiences. And this person, they got in trouble for going to a therapist. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> messed up. Yeah. That is. Yeah. And so, and though they couldn't go off campus to do it, so they did it virtually. And their roommate, like, snitched on them or told an RA or something, a resident assistant, they do whatever about it. And this person was brought in and the, uh, the leader was like, oh, I heard that you're doing therapy and that you're on antidepressants. She's like, how is your relationship with Jesus? Like, is it not good? Like, why do you have to get a therapy? There's so much blame. Like, oh, it's your fault. Why do you need to go to a therapist? If you just need to read your Bible and pray. Like, it's this very magical type thinking. And it's so frustrating to me because mental health is such a complex thing. Chemical imbalance. For example, people who are bipolar, praying and reading the Bible is not going to stop them from having a manic episode. <laughs> exactly. There's a legitimate genetic thing and chemical imbalance in their brain that they need medication to rebalance everything out. For depression, for example, there can be many reasons, different reasons people have depression. And like it's not the same across the board for everyone. Right. And that's what's hard for these people to get to their minds because they have such black and white thinking. The fundamentalist environment is growing up. I never heard anyone ever talk about trauma, ever. It's like it just didn't exist. At Bob Jones, you were there for a few years, got to your senior year, and you have the senior thesis. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went into your senior thesis, how did you decide on the topic of your senior thesis? Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing is my major was so new that there was no senior project or senior class, which was very upsetting to me because I wanted some like pinnacle project of my college career. <laughs> yeah. What was your and- major? I was a visual studies major there and it was, it was a very, it was like brand new. I was one of the first few people to like get into that program okay. at Bob Jones. And so it was, yeah, it was in its infancy. And so a part of, I, um, I had a concentration in photography and so there was a photography internship. So I, I interned for the photo department at Bob Jones university. And a part of that internship was me working on my portfolio. So I decided to take that chunk of time for my portfolio to work on this project, this photo series. And, you know, for people who aren't familiar with art photography, art photography is just basically where a person uses photography as a medium of expression, as a way to express their ideas, thoughts, and emotions through photography. It's just a different art form. And so fine art photography was, I was into that during my college career, and it really helps me express a lot of negative emotions that were going on inside of me that I didn't, still didn't know like how to deal with. And I think it was several months before my last year at Bob Jones that I discovered the term. Now, I mean, I had known about spiritual abuse for a long time, but it wasn't until I finally discovered religious trauma syndrome. And like once I read it about it, it was just like a light bulb in my brain. And I just remember crying my eyes out because 
you know, I just suffered for so long, not knowing um, the solution to my mental health issues. And like, now that I need a problem, I'm like, okay, I can find a solution. You mentioned religious trauma syndrome. Can you define that for listeners? Mm-hmm. Yes. So first, I just want to, I'll just start with just trauma in general. So trauma is your body and mind, specifically, I guess, nervous system and mind's response to an experience it's not the experience in and of itself but your body and mind's reactions to it and like i definitely think there are experiences that will always be traumatic no matter what and it's interesting because people will argue about the nuances of it but there are experiences that cause trauma responses in your mind and body so for example let's say that maybe i'm in a building and there's an earthquake and once I feel it happening, like so much happens in my body, um, my adrenaline starts running and, but I just, I, I freeze and I don't move. I don't get to complete that trauma response. That energy that has built up so much power in my body is stuck. Okay. And then I finally rescue from the environment, let's say, but I still never got a chance to, I think it's called biological completion is when you finish that trauma response. So then it's stuck in my body. And it will be in there and it'll be triggered by certain things until I actually learn to deal with it. And, and it, it's very, it's very interesting because I've read so much about trauma and it just blows scientists' minds how animals are able to deal with so many traumatic instances every day, but are not traumatized because they're able to complete those trauma responses. They're able to do biological completion. And so the theory is that because, you know, we have the neocortex and also like the reptilian and mammalian brain in us that they're just kind of like fighting with each other. And then the rational part of us stops us from completing those trauma responses most of the time. There are some people who are able to finish those trauma responses. And what I want viewers to know is that it's not really your choice. It automatically happens. Like there's nothing you can do in that moment to really change that that makes sense your response is the instinctual thing that automatically happens and some people automatically respond in the way that's best for their health mm-hmm. and it's just it's your instincts trying to adapt to the environment so for an example like for me growing up i was subjected to a lot of like fire and brimstone sermons and it was very traumatic with all the descriptions they would talk about hell and demons and just try to scare children with Mm-hmm. And that was too much for my nervous system. So I learned to automatically disassociate. And that became such a habit, which just means that I was not present in my body. My mind was somewhere else. I wasn't in touch with my emotions or my environment. And I was just basically just numb. That was a very common trauma response for me was a disassociation. And also because of the constant hateful messages about the LGBTQ plus community, it caused so much internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. And also I lived with so much anxiety and fear really that God would like kill my family at any moment because my church painted a very like angry, hateful God. But it was weird because one week he would be loving and one week he would be angry and hateful. Like God to me growing up, he just seemed such an unstable person that I didn't have a secure attachment in a spiritual sense, I guess you would say, or secure attachment to that idea. Okay. Because God was just never consistent, it seems, in the preaching growing up. So it's like, 
it just didn't make sense to me. And there was still so much shame and guilt that they would put on our backs, even after they claimed that we were like free from sin or whatever. And so it was always that constant, that shame, guilt, and just emotional manipulation. And, and you know, I didn't really help being at home either and dealing with that. And, you know, the thing with religious trauma, and which I'll go into the, the definition of that, is so religious trauma is traumatic experiences in toxic religious settings or just bad experiences in religion in general. And some of the symptom of religious trauma is like a reduced ability to think, difficulty controlling your emotion, anger, guilt, anxiety, grief, a feeling of not belonging, disassociation, PTSD, nightmares. And I think there are some of the main symptoms. I'm sure there are others, but like that's a big chunk of what's going on. And so really they found Religious trauma is very similar to complex PTSD. And PTSD is something that people just think, oh, someone goes to war and, you know, they have that traumatic experience. But it, it happens in war a lot, but it can happen in America any day in like a abusive home or something. But PTSD, PTSD is usually from one traumatic incident, but complex PTSD is from multiple traumatic incidents that just pile on top of another. Yeah. And so it, that makes it very difficult to work through religious trauma. So many different things. And so I think these fundamentalist religions are very harmful to the development of children because I think, number one, at such a young age, these children are just filled with so much fear of demons in hell. Like I had a lot of nightmares growing up mm. of like in hell. And I feel like children's innocence was just taken at too young of an age and religious trauma can even be sexual abuse that happens in church. So like a leader uses his power to manipulate someone and people can be psychologically abused through conversion therapy and pastoral counseling. Really what I've learned is these fundamentalist environments, number one, they destroy your critical or repress your critical thinking and they disconnect you from yourself. So number one, you don't, you can't think critically. It's really hard for you. You can't emotionally regulate. So how are you supposed to process traumatic things happening to you in these environments? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you really can't with that kind of mindset. So you have these things that are traumatic to you. You know, for instance, in my childhood, you know, there were instances where I would say to my parents, like, I did something good. And I'm like, oh, well, I deserve this because I did this good deed. They would be like, no, you deserve to burn in hell forever. And that was just, it's really, children don't need to be told that by their parents. Right. Yeah. They need love and validation. Because if your parents think you're a terrible person, why would you think that you're a good person or have any kind of self-esteem whatsoever? There's just, there's so much putting down at such a young age and tearing down and I think also for me, like a lot of internalized homophobia and just self-hatred from all the years of just hateful messages. And I just never processed them. And there were so many repressed emotions. It manifested in depression and anxiety. And like my nervous system was like constantly alert. I struggle with 
disassociation. I struggled with nightmares. I struggled with sleep. And there were just all these things going on. And it was so frustrating to have people tell me the same thing over and over, but like it would never work. And once I finally found religious trauma syndrome and how this was a manifestation of all the toxic religious teachings I took in from such a young age and toxic experiences in religion, that it was just all these buildup of so many things that resulted in the trauma response and trauma stuck in my mind and my body. So for me, making that photo series, Religious Trauma is Trauma, which the story of it is that an individual is stuck in this dark room that they're actually locked in and they have religion and that's about it. They have a cross on the wall, they have a Bible and they're going through all of these mental health struggles and their religion isn't working. As they finally start working through it, they realize that they had the answer all along to work for trauma and they end up having a key around their neck the whole time that was like the lock to the room. So at the end, they're able to escape this traumatic environment. And to me, that just really represented my life and how I was trapped in this religious environment and how I did everything they told me. And I suffered at the hands of this toxic religion. And I finally took the courage to find my own solution and that I really was my own solution and claiming that autonomy to get better. And so for me, like it was really, I think that's called like experiential therapy as you work through those things. So making it, I was like, how am I? Because I really wanted to promote it and I wasn't sure like who to promote it to. And that's when I noticed that Joshua Harris, the author of I Kissed Goodbye, he had an IGTV show called Every Story Matters. And so I was like, what if I DM Joshua Harris and see if he would want me on the show to talk about my photo series? And it was just something I never thought he would ever get back to me. I'm like, let me just go for it. Why not? Because I felt like his audience would have been the perfect people that would enjoy my photo series. Before you reached out to him, had you heard of him? Oh, I most definitely. I remember when he announced he had left Christianity, like so many people were upset and he renounced his book and he apologized for the harm that he had caused through it. And, you know, some people were upset at me for going on his show because of the harm he has done. But, you know, I think I looked up to him because he was willing to publicly admit that he harmed people and he apologized for it. Mm-hmm. and left that toxic environment so like I really I looked up to that because I see a lot of people who are doing harmful things but they're not apologizing and they're not stopping <laughs> their behavior yeah I remember that being a really contentious thing like even within evangelical circles uh mm-hmm. when it happened because I mean I was familiar with him from being in college in college and campus ministry especially reading I Kiss Dating Goodbye it was really like kind of heavy into like purity culture and all that and you know, yeah. so that was something that really absorbed back then. When he came out 20 years later, he's like, I apologize. And then, yeah, not too long after him leaving the faith, mm-hmm. it was like, I kind of had mixed feelings about the approach. But I think that especially looking back and looking even now at some of these sexual abuse scandals in a lot of evangelical churches, I've heard recently about the Southern Baptists these different denominations and church organizations that are dealing with a lot of these, whether it's sexual abuse or counseling women to stay with abusive 
with mm. the abuse of husbands or some of these different scandals to where they're inflicting different types of religious trauma onto their flock, right? Just seeing that and these people not looking back and seeing what harm they've done and not listening to the people that are coming out and saying like, look, what you did harm me, what you did traumatize me. And so, I mean, looking back, I do have to give Josh Harris credit. That was such a big thing. He was a big Christian rock star for Mm -hmm. writing that book. And to be able to go back and say, you know what? I messed up and I'm sorry. Being a big name in evangelical Christianity and then walking away from the book and then walking away from the faith. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of guts. That does really. And, you know, I was beyond thrilled when he actually like responded to my DM and telling me that he wanted me to be on his IGTV show on Instagram. And I was just so shocked by it. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I was still at Bob Jones University. And, you know, I ended up scheduling the interview like the day before I went back for my last semester. So when I scheduled it, I had six weeks to like prepare for the interview and make an outline of everything that I wanted to cover. And like the show was only like a 30 minute time slot. So that's really hard. (laughs) Yeah. You have to kind of fit it all in. (laughs) Yeah. It was a lot. And we ended up going like 40 minutes long and he'll, he'll let guests go longer sometimes like that. And thankfully he let me go have those 10 extra minutes in that. But really in that video, I really like told my story very condensed and like really how that my story led up to creating this photo series to work through the trauma I had endured in fundamentalist Christianity. And I talked a lot also about how um, mental health, there was a lot of victim blame around mental health and there was so much blame and that, you know, it was really, it took a lot of guts for me to say, but I was like, you know what, I'm like, all these people blame me for our mental health, but it was because of religious trauma. And all these toxic teachings that have been indoctrinating me from such a young age and all the internalized homophobia from their teachings. And because it was true, like I, there were all these things that were inside of me and I could not help the psychological, emotional, mental abuse I endured, but I am responsible now for like getting rid of it. You know what I mean? I have to, I have to work through it. Like I can't help what was done to me. So, and that's what I was talking about because I was like, so many people are suffering from religious trauma, but they have no idea because they're stuck in these environments. They're isolated. They have no education on mental health or trauma of any kind, and they can't trust themselves at all. Their critical thinking skills are repressed. They're just suffering in silence, really. And they just don't know what to do, and they're afraid to speak up. They're afraid of being shunned or judged or blamed or just seen as weak or something. And, you know, in the video, I also talked about how I deconstructed Christianity and I really questioned that authority because Mm. I I talked about in the video how you know I felt like fundamentalist Christianity had such a hold on me that it was just it had perverted all of Christianity for me I guess if that makes sense like I tried to like I try to deconstruct toxic things and keep the good parts but trauma really does change everything it was really hard for me to do but for my mental health you know I said that I had left Christianity and so, you know, going to Bob Jones and you publicly come on the internet and say, I love Christianity, like, they're not going to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, they're probably not going to be happy. <laughs> and I was very careful about the interview because I wanted to take it in such a loving, loving approach and open-minded approach. 
like I did not at all want to be hateful or be mean. Like I tried to like understand the mindset of the people who like raised me, the people in my church, and maybe what they were going through, not to justify anything, but just to understand. Like I didn't want to generalize anyone really. I didn't want to become the thing I hated, <laughs> you know? Right. That so, makes sense. Yeah. And so I tried to really be careful about it. And Josh, you know, he was like, he's like, wow, he's like, you've taken such a loving approach to this. He's like, you're filled with so much light and kindness. And and I think because of the way I approached that in the video, it was very hard, I think, for Bob Jones to decide what to do for like punishment for me because I was just being honest and authentic and talking about my experiences and doing it in a loving and open-minded way. And I got a lot of like positive response from BJU students on it. And like people were so apologetic and sorry for what I went through. And they're like, I'm so glad you're talking about this issue because there is spiritual abuse going on a lot at Bob Jones University. And there are people there who are experiencing religious trauma and don't know it. And you know, people have a right to claim autonomy and heal. And no one deserves to be blamed for every single problem in life or every issue or be told that they're the problem or that they're so awful and wicked or they do this or that. They have a biblical counseling model that is a lot of victim blaming. And number one, the fact that I said I left Christianity and that I called out how fundamentalism is really awful towards your mental illness and how they're uneducated on it and just bring awareness to spiritual abuse. Josh, at the end of the video, actually, he was like, he was shocked to hear that I was still going to Bob Jones. And he was like, are you going to get kicked off for this? And I'm like, well, I'm like, it's possible. And if that happens, that's okay. Like, I just, at that point, I just didn't really care about that anymore because I had already been suffering in silence for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the difference that I knew that I could make with sharing my story and sparking conversation about this issue, even at Bob Jones, and even for people on the internet watching it, that was enough for me. And it's like, for me, like I've learned to just pursue purpose. And to me, it's like, I felt like my intuition was like, you have to do this. Like yeah. this is a community. And like, I don't regret doing it. I got expelled from Bob Jones University. It was January 17th of this year, I was expelled. Wow, so this literally just happened not even three months ago. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so it, it was incredible to me because the day after I was expelled, I was the next day I was moving off campus and, you know, I got lunch for the last time on Bob Jones campus. And I just sat there and just cried my eyes out because I realized how many, how many emotions I've been holding back. I realized how dysregulated my nervous system was and how I could just release this negative energy. But I just feel like trapped. So I just was just sitting there and just cried my eyes out for like 20 minutes <laughs> after all these yeah. years of just having to survive. It was so, it's so awful living in survival mode all the time. And I could finally thrive. And after it happened, I was like, you know what? I'm like, I think this is a great opportunity now for me to go on the internet and keep on spreading awareness about spiritual abuse, religious trauma, and issues in fundamentalism and in churches in America, because I got expelled. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> in a way, it's like freedom. <laughs> it's freedom. Like I actually had freedom of speech for like for once in my life. Like, really. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it was hard at first, but I was able to move in with a wonderful family in Greenville. So I'm in a very healthy environment. 
I've been in therapy for two months now, and that's been fantastic. I've been working on my book, and I started when I was 19. Um, so I've been able to really work on that. And I'm really trying to like educate myself on topics that I never got a chance to be educated on. And but again, I'm really working hard and grinding up my social media. Yeah. <laughs> um, trying to just spread awareness. And for example, like this, like I've been on several podcasts, just trying to continue spreading awareness around this issue and really encouraging people to just speak up. Because I do, I do genuinely believe every story matters. And like that's what I loved about Joshua Harris, is how he it didn't matter to him how many followers you had. Like he, every story mattered to him. And that was so powerful to me. And like being an introvert, that was so hard for me to do in the first place. But it gave me so much confidence, I guess, in my speaking abilities. And I decided to put myself out there on the internet and be an influencer. And I don't love the word influencer because I know there can be negative connotations with it of like someone pushing a product on someone. But for me, like I'm just genuinely wanting to influence people, inspire them and educate them. And that's really like my main purpose through social media and also to let people share their stories. And, you know, I have an IGTV show called Speaking Up and I just let people share their stories of surviving toxic religious settings just in general. And that's cool. Yeah, so like it was a lot for me to like get out of that comfort zone and put myself out there. But to me, it's like the purpose or whatever was their mission was so much bigger than me. And like it's like okay, it's like I feel like I'm just a messenger for these big issues that are going on that people are afraid to talk about. So I'm very grateful for podcasts like this that help people share their stories and spread awareness around these issues. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Thank you very much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or on your favorite podcast app. If you enjoy the podcast, please go on your app of choice and leave five stars and a review. I'm working on some written pieces for Medium which should begin being released soon. And the Potstir Podcast merch store is open and you can grab some really neat shirts, mugs, and other things to wear your love for Potstir Podcast. All of this and more can be found at my link in bio, potstirpodcast.com slash link in bio. And of course, I love to tweet quite a bit. So follow me on Twitter at PotstirCast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.